Welcome to the Living Clean Podcast. I'm your co-host Mason S. With me as always is Travis K. This podcast is not meant to replace meeting, sponsorship, step work, or service. This is meant to be just another tool in your recovery toolbox. Our guests are here to share their experience, strength, and hope with recovery through Narcotics Anonymous. Thank you for joining All right. Us. Welcome back to the Living Clean Podcast. I'm the co-host, Mason S. With me today, filling in for TK, is my man, Tony P. Tony P., how are you, brother? I'm good. Good morning, everybody. Thanks for having me, Mason. Yeah, glad you're here. Also, we have a very special guest, Miss Pooja. Um, Pooja, we couldn't thank you enough for coming on here and doing this. We really appreciate it. You want to start with your clean date and give your home group a shout out? Sure. My name is Pooja S. I'm an addict. Um, I'm from Pune, India. Uh, my clean date is 26th March 2004. And my home group is the Phoenix Group of Narcotics Anonymous in the Pune area. Wonderful. It is so cool. Um, so as you can see, it's just breaking morning where we're at. And I guess it's... Uh, almost uh eight o'clock p.m your time so it was neat trying to get this i was so confused because <clears throat> i've i've been with people on the podcast before you know uh, long distances away but i've never had the 30 minute uh the 11 hours and 30 minutes uh the difference was really throwing me off i, I could not get it figured out the 30 minute difference was well it was really something else but uh, before we started we were in a conversation about talking about the need for a podcast in the asia pacific region um and you were talking about you had heard this podcast and then the anonymous podcast and um yeah you want to just kind of start where we were at sure so uh mason i have to tell you um i was recommended the Living Clean podcast and the Anonymous podcast, both by a friend. Uh, he's also got similar clean time as me. And uh, he's been a great support in encouraging me to, uh, you know, uh, serve in a larger role. Yeah. Uh, so I've been serving in the Asia Pacific zone for some time as a part of uh, the Women's Fellowship Development Subcommittee. And uh, for the first time, I uh, was a traveler. So I went to Nepal uh, for a convention and I did this workshop uh, specifically for inclusivity uh, for women, mostly. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I was just there and I, I the, the first few times that I've been listening to these two podcasts, which are based in the U.S., uh, I, I just couldn't help think that wouldn't it be amazing to have a podcast uh, for the Asia Pacific region, because uh, that's a huge uh, region. Uh, you know, we talk yeah. about a completely different culture. Uh, the Indian subcontinent itself has like five or six uh, homogeneous countries. Um, the culture is, uh, it's almost the same. Uh, we don't have as many women. Um, you know, most of our fellowships, not India, but a lot of our fellowships are in early stages of development. 
Yeah. Uh, so we don't have the kind of numbers mm -hmm. and the kind of home groups and the kind of, uh, you know, the any lifestyle. Uh, I'm lucky I come from a city which was the second in India to have any meetings. Uh, but we're still fairly small, mm -hmm. you know, um, but any is exploding uh, in India. And over the last 10, 15 years, there have been a lot of changes. We've had a lot of women coming in. But it's probably, you know, if I look at the statistics, this is so funny because we are like 1 billion people, Indian people yeah. in the world population. And uh, we've got, uh, I don't know, I don't know. I, I, I don't want to throw numbers out, but I would assume that we have about... 10,000 to 15,000 members in India and possibly 200 are women. Mm. Um, so we, I'm, I'm lucky. I'm, I'm blessed to be a woman in recovery living in India. And uh, yeah, I'm through and through an NA girl. So yeah, it's, it's just an honor and a pleasure to mm. be here. Yeah. We're so glad. Um, one thing I want to kind of touch on is, you were you were talking about um the women and and i guess our question would be is why do you why do you think they're having such a problem getting into the rooms is it is it have to do with your culture does it have to do with our our number of things or what do you think it is i think it's a mix of a couple of things again um uh, i don't have enough data but i think uh socially it's hard for people to accept women who are addicts uh, i think their families are more interested in what's going to happen to them in the future so would they find the right groom uh, if they are educated families i think the women get lucky because they find treatment but most of the times there's a lot of stigma around addiction yeah. uh, there's a lack of understanding that this is a disease um and uh, from my experience, I'm seeing that, uh, you know, very interesting, but uh, ever since we went down in COVID, uh, the women's scene has exploded because I think women felt safe to yeah. come into online meetings. They didn't have to show their face. They didn't have to talk. They didn't have to get hugs. And so many women stayed, you know. Um, and for me, that was amazing to watch uh, because uh, we didn't have that, you know, uh, about, I think, yeah, 15, 16 years ago, um, I met these two other women uh, from like 2000 kilometers away. I don't know how much that is in miles, guys, but we, we use kilometers, uh, but 2000 kilometers away in, in two different directions. And the three of us would meet convention to convention. So maybe once every three years at a big, big, big convention. And we would always talk about how, uh, you know, it was hard being the only women who stuck around. And uh, in 2018, before the pandemic hit, we finally uh, were able to start a all women's meeting uh, for the Indian women. And uh, in 2019, we had the first women's convention. Uh, which was attended by 50 women. Most of them were from India. A couple of them came from Nepal. And I see the same spark is happening in the Nepali women right now. So it's it's amazing uh, that we are able to um, build 
on special needs for special members. Yeah. So you were kind of talking about, um, I, I read some, some history, uh, of NA over in India and really kind of got started around 1983 from what I was reading. Um, so like you said, it's still in the, even today, it's still in the early stages of development and it goes to show that why, when the fellowship was getting started, things like anonymity were so important because of the stigma. See, like over here in the States now, people are like so accustomed to addiction and the, the stigma is still there, but it's changed drastically because we've been dealing with this publicly for almost a hundred years now. So people view it different. So people want to stand on like stand on a mountain and shout about their recovery. And, you know, like some people get offended that we have a principle of anonymity, but I think what you were talking about shows exactly why it's so important is because in other cultures outside of the States and different places, the stigma, especially where recoveries in its early stages, um, the stigma is still there and people can really be oppressed and, and, a lot of bad things can come out of um, people not being able to have that anonymity. And and I say that for people over here in the States, you know, when you want to get on top of the mountain and scream and say, I've seen this person in the meeting or just keep in mind while it's so important because, you know, in other places, people are still um, paying severe consequences for having their anonymity broken. Yeah, Absolutely. You know, interestingly, I always mm. thought anonymity was about not having a name to me. Yeah. But it's so important that we realize anonymity is about equality, that mm-hmm. every addict has a chance to come in and get the message. And uh, for me, especially uh, because I came in as a 19-year-old woman in this program, and I've stuck around for, well, it's going to be 20 years in March next year in twenty four. And uh, just to be able to uh, have a home uh, in any, I know that this message works for women too, you know, that I don't have to uh, second guess that. You know, I know for a fact that the principles offered in the Narcotics Anonymous program through our steps, traditions, and concepts are relevant world over. You know, and I think they break the barriers of culture. And for me, that's amazing. Because when I traveled to New York, I could walk into an NA meeting. And uh, I was just there. I was just one of the folks, you know. And I was asked to come back for a speaker share. And I was asked to have dinner later. And and somebody picked up my tab, you know. I went to Germany. It was the same thing. Uh, I've just come back from Nepal. This was my second Nepal trip in recovery. Uh, and and I've, I've, I've built some beautiful relations there. And it's, it's always the doors are open. You know, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. All I need to have is the desire to stay clean. And uh, the doors magically open up. So it's really so fucking cool to have access to... Um, so many of you guys and your stories. No doubt. Yeah, and I heard you say earlier that you came into Narcotics Anonymous as a 19-year-old woman. What's the biggest change you see in Narcotics Anonymous in the fellowship from that age, 2004, to, to today at almost 20 years clean in India? 
in your home group, in your area, in the Fellowship of Narcotics Anonymous? I would love to say I don't see a lot of change, um, but the faces have changed. Mm. <laughs> well, mm. and rightfully so. Uh, I've, I've lost a lot of friends in recovery who uh, were there when I first came in. Uh, they were old anyway, you know. Uh, but I've, I've built new relationships. I see that uh, back when I came in, I used to hear stories about the older days, you know, because a lot of people back then had like this 10 to 12 years clean time. So for them, it was still fresh when they first started Narcotics Anonymous. Uh, so I heard a lot of stories about how they would hang out at uh, like a member's pizza shop or, uh, you know, they would uh, like go for these dinners or do these picnics. And uh, one of the things that I see a little different today is that, right? Like the fellowshipping outside the meetings, it's quite fragmented uh, because we are not like all hanging out after the meeting so much. Uh, when I came in, I was instantly you know, taken under like these two, uh, two men, they just took me under their wing, you know, and they would take me to meetings and they would drop me back home and they would like take me for coffee. I was broke as fuck, you know, and they paid for my coffees and they took me out for dinner and they encouraged me to serve. You know, I came out of uh, a rehab and within the first month, my, uh, my fellowship handed over the meeting back to me, you know, and they were like, Hey, you're going to chair. This is the day. This is the time you got to be here. Of course, I wasn't there at that time, you know, uh, but I was so quickly inducted into service. Uh, it wasn't by choice. And I see a little bit of that lacking now that I think a lot of people feel afraid to ask the newer guys to pitch in. Um, that's something that I see, which, uh, you know, but also at the same time, I must uh, say this, the kind of guilt and shame that I came in with, uh, I see a lot of people not having the same guilt and shame. So they come in more open to mm -hmm. share more openly. So the, it's a mix. It's a mix of, uh, you know, uh, things that could um, change in a better way and uh, things that have evolved and and people i think are learning so much faster i think the the collective experience of any um has i mean the things i took like five years to learn i i watch a lot of my sponsees learn that in year two or three you know and it's amazing to me because i keep saying that how how do you know that already you know it's you gotta wait your time man hmm. uh but yeah one thing I wanted to talk to you about too. So this is funny too, because last night when you were going to be on, I actually Googled your name so that I could pronounce it. Right. So I made <laughs> sure that it was right. Uh, it was actually, I'm going to blame it on my wife because she was like, you better make sure that you say your name right. And I said, okay. So you should have just I, asked me, Mason. <clears throat> well, it, I, it was hard over the text message. I should have called and asked, but. <laughs> What was interesting is when I looked up your name, I'm sure you know what it means, right? Yeah, prayer. That's. I thought that was so cool. Uh, so I this is a, a really like common name. So <clears> if you go out on the streets in India and you shout out my name, Pooja, you'll have 10 women turn and look at you. Yeah. So I'm not uh, especially proud of this name. It's uh, like a Joe in the US. Yeah. 
or a jill. Yeah. I got you. But to that point, your name being prayer, um, because one of the things that is really different with our cultures, right, is our the certain religions and beliefs that are in the United States versus the ones that are in India. Do you see people struggling with the third step or the 11th step or, or those type of things over there? Or is that something they've been able to adapt to your culture fairly easily? So I think um, for most of the fellowships that I've, uh, you know, seen closely in, in this part of the world, um, I, I think it's most of us who come into the program uh, come in really scarred, right? Uh, so uh, for many of us, we do have that absolute faith in a higher power in whatever form it could be. Uh, for, for so many of us, it's religious. That wasn't my story, you know. Wow. Um, I came in super young. I didn't have the opportunity to explore religion, spirituality, or any of that. So I came in fairly a, fl- uh, a fresh uh, slate. I had the chance to uh, learn about who my higher power was uh, through this program. Uh, so for me, that was great. But I do see a lot of people... Um, you know, in India, it's it's uh, also there's a huge disparity sometimes in our meetings uh, in terms of education or in terms of uh, sometimes even language. Language could be a big barrier for us here because we speak, most Indians would speak at least three languages. Uh, so the need for local language meetings is very high uh, for people to feel a sense of belonging. Uh, so it also, I have noticed that a lot of people uh, from different backgrounds come in with different uh, set of beliefs into the program. Uh, coming to step three and 11, I don't think, uh, I mean, people who work the program probably uh, would struggle with these steps the same way as they would struggle with any other step. Uh, because really, step three is about being open-minded uh, and surrender. You know, we have a little bit of surrender throughout our program. It's sprinkled all over, uh, whether you talk about the steps, the traditions. And if there is a complete lack of connection with the concept of surrender, I think a member would struggle. You know, Uh, every time we go back for the control, uh, we are losing that battle, you know, because we refuse to surrender. So I think it's a very individual thing. I don't think I can generalize that like for me it was um it was hard it was hard to come to believe that uh there would be something out there that uh i had to hand my will and my life over to i mean i i couldn't understand why i had to do that until much later you mentioned people being uh scarred coming in scarred and i think that's the best way to describe the the people over here too that's exactly what they do they come in scarred and you know we deal with um those those three letters have have cut a lot of people off but it's also been interesting to watch the people who struggle with that word god and and then eventually come to find something that can work for them um it's it's fascinating and you know i'm i'm glad to I'm glad to hear that 
even though the problems are the same, that people are still finding the same solution too. So that's uh, interesting. Do you have something to tell me? Yeah, I was just wondering, like your very first Narcotics Anonymous meeting, what, what was that experience like for you? And and also, what attracted you to Narcotics Anonymous? Was it just a desperation to get clean, or did something, someone there attract you? I, okay, Mason, you got to cut me out here, okay? But my first ever meeting was not an NA meeting. I went to the other fellowship. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I was, I was the only woman in a bunch of really old guys, all of 18 years old. Um, I had no confidence to even look up. I just, I just knew because, you know, I could tell from the shoes they wore that there were no young people there. And <laughs> they all had these really old people's shoes, like super comfortable and ugly shoes. Um, but, but I heard, um, I heard the stories and they were all about how, you know, uh, their wife left them and they fell here and they went there and they did that. And uh, I couldn't relate because uh, those weren't my experiences, you know. Uh, and it was, I think, a month after uh, that meeting and a few more of uh, the other fellowship meetings that I I came to an any meeting. This was all happening through a uh, a treatment facility uh, and I'm so grateful because they were really uh, and I hope they continue to be but they were extremely 12-step program uh, friendly so they would send uh, their um, I don't know patients uh, yeah I think patients out for meetings I, I, sorry, please forgive me if I don't know the right words or if it's offensive, but uh, I, I just mean well. But they would send me, I was a patient there, so they would send me to meetings uh, with, again, like uh, in a car full of men. Uh, so when I came to an NA meeting, I saw someone young, you know, and it was a man, he was young. Uh, I won't say the most attractive man, but there were younger people, you know. And what I loved was they were saying fuck a lot. And I would yeah. say fuck a lot, you know, <laughs> yes. and I love that. I think that uh, was something that I couldn't find in the other fellowship. Mm. And uh, for me, I know that because uh, any in my uh, town was smaller, I needed to serve more in Narcotics Anonymous. Uh, I, I needed to... Uh, I think that's it, right? Like, because I started serving in any... Uh, so soon after I got out of uh, this treatment facility, uh, I just very, very it, it, it didn't take me time to, uh, you know, warm up the seat and claim it. So that's what happened with me. Um, the desperation to use, you know, it's so funny, but I was desperate to not go back to that treatment facility. Right. Uh, and I think that's what kept me clean. So in a way, the the fear of going back to the treatment facility because uh, I was not self-sufficient. Uh, my parents had told me, I, I, I was living with them, um, that if I used again, even one time, I, I would go back to the treatment facility. Yeah. So I knew that I had to go to meetings initially to just keep face, 
you know, because uh, a lot of people from the rehab would come to the meetings. So they would report back to the rehab that I'm coming to meetings. And like I told you guys, you know, it was in just uh, the first month I started chairing the meetings. In a couple of months, there was a convention coming up and I just got so mm. sucked in uh, into the whole NA scene. You know, I made friends and uh, I felt loved. And of course, I was unique because I was the only girl. Uh, so I had a lot of attention. Uh, and I, I think most of it was good. Right. Most of it was nice to have the warmth, you know? Yeah. What was it like when you first met another woman and actually started getting close to another woman in this fellowship? What was that experience like? So, uh, you know, that first ever convention uh, that my, it was a camp out, actually. It was a two-day event that my area was hosting. Um, and I think I was two years clean when uh, I went for that. And I was, of, of course, I was in service. Uh, and I, I, I remember I was like helping the registration chair. So I was at that registration table. Yeah. And uh, it was amazing. Because I met, I think, 10 more women. Uh, and because I was part of the registration, I got to meet a lot of people. Um, so many of them are still friends with me today. Uh, I've got them on my phone book and we talk. Mm. Uh, but that was life-changing. Because my using story, I knew two other women who used the way I did. You know? Right. Um and uh, when I came into recovery, there was this other girl uh, we had used a few times together and she was in the rehab with me, but we didn't get on. So it was really hard. Um, so when I met other women, again, a lot of them, I think I was so young, right, that uh, to find the connection uh, exactly the way I needed it was hard. So I had to put all that stuff aside and just say that, you know, it is what it is. Uh, the first woman that I really could call a friend in the program was, uh, she, is, she is one of my closest friends even today. Uh, we've, I think uh, she lives far away from me, uh, but we talk almost two or three times a week. Uh, we are service partners. So wherever she goes, I follow or wherever I go, she follows. Um, and it's it's beautiful because uh, she was the first woman that uh, had the same uh, value system to stick it through and to not, uh, yeah, to just be open and welcoming towards other women. And she's done a lot of work in her area, like I have done in mine. And uh, yeah, so it's now uh, not just her, but uh, there are so many women uh, who've, who've put in similar work and uh, there's there's so many of us making, uh, you know, shaking things up. So that's amazing. Yeah, with being the, being the only female at a Narcotics Anonymous meeting uh, when you first got clean. So in that culture, what did you do about sponsorship? Hmm. I had to get a male sponsor. Yeah. Uh, and this was a guy who sponsored everyone. Uh, so I had to get him. He was he was beautiful. 
uh, he helped me so much you know he was the one who told me that you come to any for recovery you don't come here for sex or for attention mm. um and he told me that you know everyone here is sick just like you mm. and it was really important for me to hear that it yeah. was really important for me to hear that it was really important for me to know that i had to keep it in my pants and others had to keep it in their pants as well it wasn't yeah. a one way street you know yeah. uh, but there was a lot of guilt and shame if any um, anything sexual happened to me and it did happen a few times it was either verbally or through touch uh, there were a lot of times when i felt really uncomfortable yeah um, and that's one of the reasons why i believe i'm a miracle you know because every time um something happened where i should have walked out and never come back i kept coming back wow and i don't know if uh i don't know if i should have left i don't know um i can't imagine my way my life any other way now yeah. you know um i was just saying before that i'm a through and through any girl i've spent more time in this fellowship than outside this fellowship right you know i'm 38 years old today i got clean when i was 19 uh so this like my 20th anniversary i've i'm crossing over you know and it's it's a big deal for me because this was the this has been the only thing i've consistently done is show up in any you know uh, i never imagined i would be 20 years clean you know um it's happening it's happening a day at a time you know when i came in um i remember like there was someone who had 15 years clean and he was like the cleanest guy in india that's what everyone would joke like he had <laughs> this soap brand that he would bathe with but i think he had 15 or 16 years so everyone called him the cleanest guy the cleanest uh, <laughs> yeah so he'd probably have like 35 36 years now and uh, i remember just wondering you know 10 years that's a long time you know and i'm already at double that time just a day at a time and it's not that life has been easy it's not that um you know uh the meetings have been super welcoming i still get into fights with uh, you know a lot of people because i don't agree with their way of doing things you yeah. know but today i have a spine uh and and i feel that this is my home so i better fight for it you know yeah. i better fight for what i think is right and uh yeah so you guys even taught me how to toughen up in a boys world you know and i'm i'm good with that i'm good with that because um i've 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 seen some really dark things and i know exactly what i don't want to be now so i'm curious pooja is there anything you'd like to ask us yeah i just uh, i i i wanted to know um you know this thing that you were talking about how the podcast started for you guys yeah uh, so that you could get the message out to mm. um people inside of prisons where it's really hard for members to physically go in um and i think that's just such a uh, such an amazing thought right because uh i 
have not had the opportunity to go in for a prison HNI. Uh, but it is something that I'm working with uh, with a region uh, and training a few women uh, on on how to conduct HNIs because they don't have women rehabs where they are at. Yeah. Uh, and uh, you know uh, this this service where I'm being able to um, connect, learn more about how any works in different parts of the world. Uh, it's it's been absolutely eye opening for me because I had no idea. Uh, like I thought that I was struggling, you know. But there are so many, so many like me, and not just women, but men as well. You know, there's a lot of stigma, I think, around the LGBTQIA plus community as well. Um, in India, that's lifting. We have an online meeting. Uh, it's a it's a all all region meeting, and it's so interesting because uh, you know we were saying that we do need more special needs meetings. You know, uh, all of us come in with different requirements. Like right now, I would love to have an old timers meeting to go to you know, where I could like hang out with people uh, who are around the same place that I am at. Uh, maybe a lot of us feel that we are not needed in the rooms anymore. Uh, so what do you do? You know, um, life catches up, um, uh, kids and jobs and whatnot. And sometimes I think also that it's okay to let priorities come in, you know, that, uh, it's not completely necessary for me to be in any all the time, you know, but uh, if I, I can't go out with that message today, but if I meet a bunch of people who have a similar life story, it would be interesting to see what people think, you know, and the kind of uh, priorities they have and how they balance stuff. So, yeah, I think special needs is really uh, an important topic and very important in inclusivity in the fellowship right now. Sorry, I completely forgot what you were what you asked me. <laughs> That's okay. If you don't care, why don't you tell me about your service and, and what that's kind of meant to you and your recovery? Because you talked about early on, you dove in and you were asked to chair a meeting, and then ultimately. What did that lead to? And, and kind of what's your service structure look like over where you're at? Do, do you have a GSR who goes to an area, who goes to a region, who goes to a zone? How does that look? So uh, where I come from, uh, like I mentioned earlier, we are still a small community. Uh, so we have three, four, four meetings a week. Uh, we're still not at uh, seven meetings uh, for seven days. Yeah. Uh, but we are slowly seeing a lot of new people come in. Uh, just a couple of months ago, we have put the ASE structure in place. It's not that we didn't have an ASE. We would have an ASE and it would go defunct and then we would, you know, all get together. And uh, yeah, so we're still, again, in the process of rebuilding that. One of the beautiful things of late, uh, which I've never seen happen in my area before, is the enthusiasm around HNI. Uh, so we have a lot of people volunteering to come forward for HNI service. And I think it's a pillar um, for any any community to have strong HNI mm -hmm. and PI, uh, sorry, PR. Um, 
public relations is something that, uh, you know, we'd love to uh, go ahead with, but we don't have too much experience. So we are currently in the stage where we are, we are trying to see how we can ask for help. Uh, we haven't been connected with uh, the region right now, uh, but I'm sure, I'm sure with uh, the way things are going, we'll have someone who'll step up. You know, a lot of people are interested in serving. Uh, I think a lot of people's lives have changed thanks to the NA program. And uh, for me, it's also about the kind of sponsor you have, right? Like for me, my sponsor was very clear that I had to give back. Uh, that's something that, uh, you know, I've not, I've had many sponsors, um, but my first one, he was very influential in how I shaped my mind about what this program had to offer to me. And uh, this is also something that I always push with my sponsees, that you can't just sit here. This is not a spectator spot. I'm not a tourist in Narcotics Anonymous. You know, I'm here. This is my home. And to be, if I have to live here, and if, I, if I'm going to spend time, even in a meeting, prayer to prayer, I better start giving back. You know, and sometimes just showing up in a meeting can be the biggest service that all of us can offer. So if I think that I have nothing to offer, well, go get your butt in that meeting chair and that service right there. Yeah, service. <clears throat> and I think you nailed it, right? Like you talked about sponsorship. And, you know, when I've seen service be on fire in certain areas, it's because the sponsors were involved in service and then they they led the sponsees to service and then are led. I don't even, they demanded that we, we did service. Yeah. And then in areas where services struggled, you know, it's not a huge emphasis as the sponsees are not passing that down, that how important the service structure is. And yeah. I think it's just great what you guys are, and girls are doing over in India and, and growing and, um, the work that you're putting in, not only for the fellowship, but for the women over there, getting the women involved. And, you know, in my area for a long time, we struggled with, with the attendance of women and it's finally starting to pick up and grow. And it's awesome. You know, the other night, of course we had a treatment center come in, but the other night there were actually more women than men in the meeting. And it was incredible. It was so good to see that because that's for the first time since I had been, going to my home group i'd never seen that before and um it was beautiful you know and i it, it's awesome to see it grow here i know it's growing here i know i hear your story and know it's growing there and you know that part of the service prayer is ultimately so that no addict never or need die from the horrors of addiction and you know i i think when they put that prayer together, I don't know if they had any idea that one day that that would possible, that that would be possible. But the more I look at it and the more that you see the growth happening, I think we can get there one day, at least where no addict didn't know that there wasn't a way out. Um, you know, and what a, how awesome would that be? Yeah. No kidding. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that addict who doesn't get the message or who dies in active addiction, that could be me. Right. And oh, that's pretty. That's scary. And I think um, that's exactly why, um, you know, to not be that addict, I need to be in service. 
because if i don't feel the true connection of belonging in any and if i'm just going to be outside looking in uh if i'm going to sit outside and just complain about how you guys are <laughs> doing stuff uh you know it's a spectator sport right that's yeah. how uh, people who watch a boxing match would look at it uh without getting your hands dirty you know a recovery is a half glass it's a half full glass yeah and uh, i don't believe in having a half full glass i deserve so much better than that yeah. all of us deserve so much better than that yeah What's and your... just uh, you know having the obsession to use lifted you know um i remember the first time i felt that it was uh, i was not in the treatment center so it wasn't forced on me mm. and i remember that oh my god it's been two months since i thought that i wanted a drug or a drink you know and that feeling of pure freedom but was that enough i don't think so you know i had to get my hands elbow deep into the program to have the life that i have um my life does not revolve around any um i i do whatever i can uh but i have a full life and it's an amazing life and uh the foundation is what you guys gave me you know uh the literature that came to us um and uh, all the stories and all the meetings and wow the scene has exploded man i mean look at us we're talking two continents apart and we can see each other right now yeah so if if i can't take advantage of this technology to get the help that i need um no one's to blame but me yeah and you know even though we're this far apart we're still talking about sponsorship and meeting attendance and h and i and service work and that's what i love about narcotics anonymous and you explained that so well today um that that's still the bottom baseline yeah that's why there's no graduating from this program uh-huh. right like i can't like have a uh, step 14 sorry i don't want to say 13 because that has a complete wrong connotation <laughs> for us but step 14 yeah. 15 there's no graduation No. like the 12 steps there are 12 traditions and 12 concepts and that's oh. that's the loop for me spiritually for the rest of my life and right. um i love that i get better with every time i go through the loop no doubt no doubt um so before we wrap up i want to ask you like what is your what is your message to the to the addict that still suffers you know or maybe it's a woman that's walked into the rooms before and noticed that she that this was a room full of men and that she couldn't find her mm-hmm. place in there what's your message to that person if i could do it so can you how about that you know i'm so grateful that you kept coming back you know i think about all the women that you've influenced and that you've that you've had a part to play in their recovery and all the women in the future that are coming that you're going to have a part in and you know I'm I hate that you had to go through some things you know and we're treated you know we're treated unfairly but I'm so glad that you kept coming back because you're going to you're going to be a, a a piece of the puzzle as far as you know changing the whole stigma and all those sort of things over in, in your neck of the woods and that's 
That's beautiful. That's beautiful. Thank you for doing that. And thank you for your service. And thank you for coming on here. Thank you for having me here. I think uh, just this experience of sharing my story and knowing that it's, uh, well, so many people are going to listen to it. I've been nervous because I've always thought that, yeah. uh, you know, I have to, I have to keep my story to myself. Yeah. But I think it's really important that, uh, yeah, that whoever needs this story finds it. And it's it's not my story. I, I think that's where I completely think I'm so fucked up to think that this is my story. This <laughs> yeah. is not my story. This is a Narcotics Anonymous story. This story belongs to you guys. Exactly. It's thanks to you guys and it belongs to you guys. So um, having this opportunity to share my story, is, is it's very humbling. Yeah. Thank you. And I know we just scratched the surface, so... I'm going to be bugging you sometime in the future. I'm going to want you to come back and we'll talk about maybe a more specific topic and, and do that because I'm interested to uh, hear a lot more from you. I know that. And uh, yeah, like I said, today we could only scratch the surface, but it was nice to get to know you and to hear you share your story. And we look for, I look forward to the future. What about the world convention? Are you thinking about coming to that or is that Oh, no, I, I don't think that's going to be possible, but maybe sometime in the future. Okay. It's definitely on my bucket list. Uh, I, I haven't been going to a lot of conventions in the last few years. I don't feel too connected when the yeah. when there are too many people. Uh, but just a couple of weeks ago when I was in Nepal, I think that shifted for me. So I feel mm. I'm ready again. You know, I feel very ready to hit conventions again and, you know, just feel soak in the spirit of any. Yeah. Awesome. Well, like I said, I can't thank you enough. And Tony, thank you for coming on and filling in for my man, TK. And Absolutely. So next week, uh, and starting, we're going to start, we went through the steps, we went through the traditions. We're going to start a new series to where we're going to share on each of the IPs and, uh, Next week, we're going to take a look at IP number five, another look, and I, we will have uh, a young lady from Albuquerque, New Mexico, who was going to come on and share with us, and we're looking forward to that. So we will see y'all next week. Thank you for joining us on our Living Clean podcast. This is another platform that we can share our message of recovery, which is an addict, any addict, can stop using drugs, lose a desire to use, and find a new way to live. Join that no matter what club. You can contact us through text. The number is 931-306-9364.